After 32 years, I came out of the closet as a gay Christian pastor. Finally, on the outside of that suffocating prison, I'm looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. It's not enough to become informed. We have to do something about the harm we're still witnessing within systems and spaces we've been loyal to for so long. It's time we become reformers. All right, so y'all, we're back. And I'm here with the New Evangelicals, Tim Whitaker, dun, dun, dun. Um, I'm doing a series on Christian nationalism. And of course, I had to have Tim come on and speak. <laughs> Tim is deeply entrenched in that world and doing the work. So I wanted to make sure that he, his voice got represented here and got to you know share his perspective and experience on this. Um, Tim, thanks so much for being here. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about all this. Um, thank you, my friend. I mean, this is our second time chatting on a podcast, your podcast. And the yeah. first time was, it was a bonding moment for me, if I may <laughs> say so myself. And I'm I'm glad to be back to talk about this topic that you know I'm very passionate about. So thanks for having yeah. me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So Tim, that kind of lends us into a particular part of this conversation, which I know we've touched on a bit. Um, if you want to hear more about Tim and our engagement you can check out his initial interview with me i think there were three episodes on my podcast originally so yep. go find him there if you want to go see some origin conversations and like background on tim but tim christian nationalism first of yeah. all for people who are listening that's what we're going to be talking about today yeah um i want you to just if you would in your in your words and in your perspective and scope what would you say to people who are like i've heard the term i don't really know what that entails or means what would you say to them is Christian nationalism before we get into anything else? Yeah, I mean, like any term, depending on who you ask, you might get different flavors of it. You know, if I if I asked you, hey, uh, how do you define music? You'd be like, well, uh, big topic, <laughs> right? But Christian nationalism, I think in, in maybe its most simplistic form, is simply the belief that America was and is a Christian nation and that Christians in America must do everything they can in every sphere of culture, mainly politically though, to keep it that way. Uh, in, in, in the sense of laws, in the sense of, of policies, on the, in the sense of who it prioritizes, um, everything is aimed towards maintaining this pseudo-Americana Christian culture because we were, we were founded as a Christian nation. That's mm -hmm. essentially what Christian nationalism is. That's a very big tent picture. There's a lot more we can go into about what it's steeped in, but that's a good baseline, I think. Totally. Love it. Okay. So someone who might be hearing this for the first time or like broaching the subject loosely, they might hear what you just said and be like, what did you, what about what you just said is a bad thing? Why is that a problem? Right? Cause we're kind of confronting this as like, Hey, there might be a problem to this Christian nationalism thing. If there are Christians who heard what you just said and be like, wait, aren't we a Christian nation? Isn't right. this like, what would you say? Like, what are the problems initially? Yeah. With Christian nationalism, for someone who might not know anything about that. Yeah, well, I think two things are important. Number one, n this is not saying that you can't be a Christian and exercise your religious faith. Uh, it doesn't mean that 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 you can't vote your conscience. No one is is saying that's what Christian nationalism is. I mean, many Christians in America are are heavily socially minded, and they vote, you know, how they think Jesus would would have them vote, including conservatives. Okay, that, that's not what we're talking about. Christian nationalism says. Not only that, but how we're supposed to lead is to be in charge and, and have, a, have a privileged position over other people's uh, uh, faith 
and other religious views. So atheists, sure, they can be here, but ultimately we're a Christian nation. Muslims, sure, we can hear their opinion, but if it doesn't line up with the word of God, then 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 their policy should not be considered. So it's not it's not a view where hey we come together and we learn how to live in a pluralistic society in a democracy, you know, giving and taking as we try and find common ground for the good of all of our neighbors. It's a belief that says our view, and usually this is steeped in in, in not just Christian thought, but a, a, a specific fundamentalist um, flavor of Christian thought. That that's important here. And it says God has given us a, a, a mandate to rule over America so we can establish his kingdom on earth. That, by definition, is already a violation of other people's religious freedom. It violates the religious freedom of both of conscious and and um, it's, a re- it's, a, it's a violation of religion of freedom and religion for freedom. Right. So so um, if you're an atheist, you also have the right not to have exclusive Christian beliefs superseded onto onto how you live your life, thanks to our First Amendment, for example. So that's kind of the difference here. And I think that's important because it gets it gets conflated by maybe some critics. Right. Well, they're just saying we can't we can't vote how we want. No, you're more than welcome to. Okay, but please understand, you know, that Christian nationalism says we want to change the rules. So we're always being privileged. Our faith over others is always in the limelight. It's always represented in our public institutions. It's always, you know, um, privileged when it comes to court cases, et cetera. That's mm. Christian nationalism. Mm. Wow. Okay. So obviously there are so many directions that we could go in terms of pulling it apart and critiquing and whatever. I want to kind of start initially with just, if you're up for this, in your own personal journey and experience and proximity to the ills of Christian nationalism, what are some things that you tend to run into repeatedly that hit you on an emotional level like, oh, this really bugs me about the Christian nationalist perspective that sometimes people I'm addressing don't even recognize? Yeah, I think a couple of things. First, let me just say for your audience, you know, I, I'm not claiming to be an academic or, a, a, uh, uh, you know, a scholar of Christian nationalism. A lot of what I'm saying is really parroting people who have done really heavy-duty academic work, Jamar Tisby, Andrew Whitehead, Samuel Perry, Andrew Seidel, Anthea Butler-Brown, et cetera. So I just want to preface all of that as we go forward. Um, but I, I certainly have done my best to understand. I think one of the biggest frustrating points about Christian nationalism is that it really relies on a mythologized um, American history. Okay, so it, it relies on this idea that our founding fathers came over, came over here to to establish a Christian in law nation, which of course, all you have to do is read the constitution and you don't see the words Jesus, God, Christian nation, Bible, anywhere. Uh, Andrew Seidel, who's a constitutional lawyer and you know has done a lot of good work in this field, argues that what makes America so unique, which I know for some people can even sound a little bit triggering based on how that language is used, <laughs> totally. is that it's, one, it's the first, you know, um, country that has a founding document that is incredibly secular. The power comes from the people, not from a specific God or, or, or deity. And how our constitution does not mention any mention of a God or a deity ruling over the country. But in a lot of the circles I grew up in and, and, and now follow, there's this um, very selective telling of history of, you know, well, no, no, that's not true. We're an American, we're a Christian nation. And then this mythologized past becomes this this illusion of of what we have to get back to, right? Make America great again. It's pointing back to this time, sometime. I mean, no one really knows. Is it, is it the, is it 1776? 
Is it the 1950s when segregation was a thing? Is it the 1970s when, when, when Jerry Falwell's fighting for, for maintaining white schools? Who knows when that time is, but somewhere back there was, those were the good old days. And now the evil forces of secularism and, you know, and the liberals have ruined that. So it, 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 it's a lot of propaganda that goes into what feeds this, this perspective of, oh my God, we have to get back to this, this time when God was blessing the country. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Great. Super helpful. Okay. So, um, I know you do like a lot of work in like even immersing yourself in environments that are still like pro propagating this kind of ethos <laughs> and ideology. Yeah. Um, some people might hear you in my audience Some people might hear you and be like, yeah, oh, that sounds crazy, Tim. Like, aren't you talking about like a fringe group of people that don't yeah. like this is like a minority of our population? Yeah. Well, yeah. How would you respond to that sentence? That's a really great question. So there's two things. First off, when it comes to so Samuel Perry, Andrew Whitehead wrote a book called Taking America Back for God. They're, they're both sociologists really worth reading. It, it really gives some data to this. They kind of give uh, a spectrum of different types of people. They call them ambassadors, people who would actually be this this more minority group who say, yes, this is what America is. We have to fight for it. We have to we have to kind of push for this to happen. Then you have accommodators. That's someone who might say, yeah, America's probably a Christian nation, but they're not so much in that in that, you know, fight uh, crusader type of, of mentality. And then it goes kind of down the line so you get to the absolute detractors. That, that's someone maybe, maybe like me. And realistically, according to according to their data, yeah, about 20% of Americans fall in that ambassador category. So certainly on a numerical level, this is not the overwhelming majority of Americans. However, there are two things to keep in mind here. Number one, that group has immense power, immense. All right. If you want to know why Roe v. Wade got overturned, you have to look at Christian nationalism. You have to look at, at at both the Protestant and Catholic nationalists that put those Supreme Court justices in front of Trump to get that 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 process done. Because statistically, the only group in America that isn't that was in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade religiously were white evangelical Protestants. No other group had the majority. Yet they got it done. How? Well, they're really well connected. And there's a whole for, for more on that look up Catherine Stewart's book the power worshipers okay she does the deep dive on that. So there's that side so power matters more than numbers Okay, this group has no problem ruling by minority hence January 6th the insurrection keep that in mind. Number two, while certainly not the majority roughly 30% or more of Americans are at least accommodators of Christian nationalism. These are the people who will tolerate it in their churches. These are the people who will listen to Sean Hannity. These are the people who will, oh, I like Tucker. He's pretty good. I listen to him sometimes. That's that kind of crew. So they actually are the ones who allow this kind of rhetoric to be uh, disseminated throughout the ranks, mainly in evangelical and some Catholic spaces. So, so yes, while certainly it is maybe a fringe group as far as the actual boots on the ground, you know, uh, infantry, we can say, there is a whole culture of Christian thinking and thought that props this up and, and celebrates it in many ways, even if they're not as militant. Mm, wow. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there's another question I had for you. This feels maybe a little like, what, why are we talking about this? Um, for people, I think specifically, I'm continuing to just represent people in my world that I think, you know, as they're hearing this might have certain thoughts. Um, 
the insurrection. I would love to hear your opinion, your take on, because I'm going to have a few different people speaking to this whole, and they'll have different perspectives on this. How do you interpret what happened on January 6th, a year ago from literally the recording of this today right now, right? Like, that's kind of funny, yeah. but um, so that as a, as a, like a pretty, like, eye-opening moment for us as a country like that taking place what is your take and perspective on what that was what it's connected to any commentary you'd like to provide on that for people who maybe don't have a ton of invested like interest in even understanding what happened okay friends buckle up okay a <laughs> couple of things here because there, there's a lot here first you should know i just got back from a prayer vigil at the at the capitol this morning in washington um this is a big deal for me um, and uh, there's a couple layers to this. First off, anyone who says the insurrection wasn't was not an insurrection or it was Antifa, they just are either straight up lying or they're make or, or they're ignorant because Congress, a bipartisan panel, finished like an almost year long investigation into this. Okay, they interviewed thousands of people in the Trump sphere, and we now know pretty emphatically, based on Trump's own administration, that this was something that trump knew about he knew there was a potential for violence and he let it happen and soaked the fires so we have to first acknowledge that certainly there was a political party that stoked this fire by and large and there's no way around that okay that's just data and i try and be as data driven as possible when i talk about this because i don't want to treat things as hyperbolic or 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 kind of go to that i don't want to use propaganda to make points there's no reason to because the data is all there Okay, it just is. There's a reason why in these past midterms, 60% of Americans had an election denying candidate on their ballot. 60%. Now, thank God most of them did not get elected. It was a huge, you know, um, a repudiation of that. But this election denying myth is deep seated in these spaces. Now, January 6th, I, there's a great podcast series by Straight White American Jesus that, that, that just did a six-part deep dive on this. So I'm going to parrot a lot of what they talk about. But we have to understand that, that the events leading up to January 6th were stoked largely by on a, on a, on a Christian level, not maybe political too, but it was mainly Christian, by the new apostolic reformation movement. This is Lance Wallnew. This is the people over at Bethel, Bill Johnson. Okay, this is the idea that we have a prophetic calling from God. Apostle so-and-so has given us a word because the prophet said so. Trump and his admin team were very tapped into that. And those apostles and prophets of that movement were very much on the ground, even the day of January 6th in Washington, doing prayer calls, declaring that God has given this election to Trump, etc. There's a whole, and I'm, I'm condensing a ton for sake of our time, but we have to recognize that the New Apostolic Reformation, the Sean Foyts of the world, they were deeply embedded in this spiritual warfare mentality that, oh my God, Biden getting elected is demonic. He has stolen this from the true savior of America. And God has told me, Mr. or Mrs. Prophet, that this is a fraudulent election and our base needs to get stirred up. It's absolutely there. That, that series has all the receipts, the sound, the sound bites, the documentation. So, you know, we have to be aware of this. Like this was this one thing that disappoints me in the mainstream media and in this uh, congressional, you know, um, commission was that they don't talk about Christian nationalism being the fuel and really being the match. And the reality is, is that I think it was the foundation of what we saw on January 6th, because even before that, you had the Jericho March with Eric Metaxas. Right where people, someone had a vision 
that that they had to march around the Capitol. So they get people a couple of days before the uh, the January 6th insurrection telling them that, you know, God told us this. All this stuff leads up to January 6th. So there was a huge religious element. And of course, anyone who watches the video footage, the terabytes of data, can see the Jesus saves signs, the Christian flag walking through the Capitol, the actual prayer to Jesus thanking him for giving them an opportunity to stand up for their inalienable rights. I just did a video on this today. So, so to make it seem like this was um, fringe, this wasn't Christian, you would have to be someone who was blind and maybe who cannot hear. Right. And because it's all there, the, the words are there, the language there, it's all there. So that's how I see the interaction. I believe the data, most importantly, easily supports that. And unfortunately, I don't see a lot of evangelicals being willing to take some responsibility or even self-reflect on the damage that 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 this fundamentalist theology and uh, combined with this nationalistic political white nationalistic uh, political outlook combined what it leads to which is violence mm. uh, and, and a quest for power and control so that's kind of how i see the insurrection thank you yeah great love it um man <laughs> what do you feel so if you were speaking to the the people who what did you call them um not the 20 percent that are like oh the accommodators the, the accommodator if you're speaking to the accommodators what are things that you would say to the people in that headspace um, who maybe don't see the problems the way you see, they don't see problems where you see them. They don't see it as that big of a deal or as, as intense or whatever. What would you say to the accommodator part of the people you're, you're talking about? What kind of things would you tell them to help them, I don't know, wake up or respond, be responsible with what you're, you know, you're bringing to the table. What would you say to them? Well, I, I would ask them to start doing the work. You know, if they take their faith seriously, if they want to have allegiance to Jesus like they claim, please start paying attention as to what is happening inside of the culture that you most likely inhabit. Um, you know, read an actual history book, not David Barton, you know, not someone else. Read an actual historian who actually has done read Jamar Tisby's The Color of Compromise. Read Kristen Dumais, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and John Wayne. Read um uh where is it? J. Russell Hawkins' book. Um um wow, I'm blanking on it. I have it here somewhere. I'll find the name for it. But there's a book by J. Russell Hawkins. Um the, oh, the Bible told them so, documenting how white evangelicals were the biggest proponents of segregation in the 1950s and 60s. Once you start reading work done by legitimate historians, you start realizing that that the myth you were told isn't really the case. And on top of that, has been weaponized to give you a privilege that you're not even aware of at the expense of others in your community, which I think violates the second greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's not easy work. You can absolutely keep your head in the sand. You can not listen. You cannot pay attention. You can just vote R every time because that's what God would have you do according to what people would tell you. Yeah. But honestly, that is frankly put in love. It's a shallow, weak Christian faith that has that has no has no backbone to it. You know, ultimately, I believe that Jesus teaches us to subvert the empire and Christian nationalism wants to become the empire. It wants to rule by force. And if you care about your neighbor, if you care about 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 your queer daughter or uncle or nephew or whoever or 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 your friend who's who's black or in the BIPOC community, then please give a shit, right? And actually start paying attention because I'm telling you, 
this movement does not this movement is all about maintaining power and control and minimizing the rights of others one last thing i'll say about this where do you think the term grooming has come from over the past couple of years why do you think it's aimed at the queer community and not at the church which is which has countless examples of people actually molesting children why do you think that critical race theory which has been around since the 80s all of a sudden is this big boogeyman that you should be afraid of you know you have to pay attention to this stuff it comes from somewhere and it's it's participating in a very long history a very long line of pushing back against minority rights at the expense of the white people in power mm, wow thank you tim you got me ranting now mike i mean I loved this it. Is the your rant fault. Was, <laughs> i loved it it was great <laughs> i actually got chills a couple times when you were talking i'm like what am i oh, thank you happening man <laughs> Um, I'm curious, Tim, from your perspective, given how into this work you are and how much effort and labor you put into it, because I'm listening to you, I'm like, man, you have put work into this, which I respect. And I know the average person probably isn't going to go to the lengths that you've gone to, to like do the work. What do you think at this point in your process, um, deters people from doing the work? What's costly for people to do this work? Well, I think a couple of things. Number one, it's overwhelming. And also like the volume of information. Oh my, like, where do you, yeah. yeah, where do you start? Yeah. Who do you listen to? And yeah. I think that's the other thing is we live in this, this world of, well, both sides. We have to listen to both sides. And listen, I want to be clear about something. I'm all about listening to, to, to all sides. I went, all right, friends, to, to Turning Point America's America Fest. 11,000 people, Ali Sucky, I was there, Trump Jr. spoke. I was there for four days. I'm all about listening. I'm not saying you have to tune them out. But once you start listening, you're going to realize pretty quickly, I think, that it falls apart. And so we have to be aware that sometimes this both sides attitude is used as a weapon to keep you from actually taking a side. And I do believe that God takes sides. I think in, if we're taking the Bible seriously, there are consistent themes that God consistently takes the side of the oppressed, the marginalized, whoever the empire is exploiting. That's where you tend to find God in the scriptures. I mean, in the scriptures, God drowns Pharaoh. He actually kills Pharaoh. For me, for me, that, that's a little far, God. I'm not going to lie. That's a little violent for my taste. You know. <laughs> Hi, Mike here. I just want to make sure you know that I'm a coach and a consultant. I specifically work with people through their queer journey or their religious baggage. And there's a link below this episode if you want to work with me. All right, let's get back to the episode. But I'm just saying, like, God fights or or advocates for liberation ferociously in the scriptures. So we have an obligation. I'm not saying to become a liberal. I'm not saying to become a Democrat. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying if you, if you claim to be someone who takes your faith seriously, compare the words of Jesus with the movement you see in right-wing spaces claiming to be on God's side and see if it matches up. How do they treat their enemies? How do they treat their neighbors who don't look like them? Just just look at the evidence. You know, I, I, think, I think that would be helpful. I think the other thing that is difficult is that um, you know it's it's uh, you have to, you might have to change, right? It might cost you some friends. It might cost you some relationships and uncomfortable conversations. As someone who is hyper relational, and Mike can attest to this, you yeah, know, I'm just a very relational person. I don't like having conflict with people that I am close to. Mm. It is very difficult. Losing my church was very difficult, right? Painful. Um, but sometimes I'm not saying to be in, and can, can I curse on your podcast? Yeah. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I'm not saying don't be, I'm not saying be an asshole. All right. We don't want to dehumanize people and become fundamentalists all over again. But my goodness, you know, it is important that, 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 that you take some positions that might be uncomfortable. 
for the sake of those who who are looking for for people to partner with them not to speak over them not to become their white savior but simply to say how can i work with you to 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 get your voices more you know spread out to uh, more amplified that's uncomfortable work i'm not going to lie it's uncomfortable i get it but again i mean to speak some christianese do we count the cost is following jesus is it that you know is that yeah, this is language that, that, that that's been used against me often as an evangelical, right? Like, do you really take your faith seriously? Are you volunteering at the church? Okay, well, let's change that. Do you take your faith seriously? Will you actually taste the sting, the sting of oppression, like James Cone says, in solidarity with the poor and marginalized? Is it worth it to you? It's a question you have to ask. I ask myself the same thing. I'm not saying I'm above this. I'm not saying I do it perfectly, but it's something that we have to be aware of. So I think th- those are maybe two big reasons. Cool. Love that. Um, a mentor of mine, Stan Mitchell, who's an incredible advocate for the queer community, says this, has said this to my team, and we found it really helpful. He's like, if you're not getting hit by the rocks that the queer people in your life are getting hit hit by, you're not standing close enough. And I'm like, oh, that's a helpful, that's helpful language for like recognizing, you know, are you actually showing up for the people, the queer people in your life? What does that actually look like? Um, So for in this space, when you're talking about all this, when you're talking about being overwhelming and it being costly and whatever, if people are like, okay, God, Tim, I think that you're right. I think I am guilty of what you're describing. I think I do feel overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. Is there a simple base place or source that you would like tell people to start in terms of being like, Hey, if you want to understand or just start the process of unpacking what Christian nationalism has become in America, here's a good place simply to begin that process. Is there somewhere you'd recommend? Sure. I mean, I can give you three easy places you can start. Great. You can start with our podcast, Shameless Perfect. Plug. We have a lot there. Um, I also recommend this. Well, that's right? serious. I think that's a legitimate suggestion. That's great. So no, your podcast it, would be great. Cool. For Perfect. sure. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of conversations with a lot of different people about this yeah. stuff. Um, the Straight White American Jesus podcast is a great place to start. Uh, Bradley Onishi, um, and I forgot his co-hosts. They're both scholars of religion. They're great communicators. They grew up evangelical in this world and also are scholars. So they have a really great combination there. And then I think a really, I think a really great book that, that, for sure shaped me a uh, big time uh, is the color of compromise by Jamar Tisby. It's a very accessible, big picture, um, you know, history uh, of racism in America. And it is it's a watershed moment. I mean, it, it's it's it could be a painful read, but it's it's an important, I think, book for folks to read, you can get it on audiobook, it, it, it's not long. I, I would start there. I, I think any one of those resources is a great place uh, to start. And of course, you can, you can always DM me too. If you're really that stuck, you can shoot me a DM on Instagram. I get back to almost everyone and uh, we can go from there. Love it. Cool. Thank you. Um, I have a weird question for you, Tim. I was not thinking about this, but I, I'm curious how you'd answer this. Um, all the disclaimers in place, <laughs> knowing, you know, like, hey, this is so ex- strictly your opinion. I would just love to know, based on your journey and awareness and whatever of history in this work, if Jesus was an American right now, what kind of political affiliation do you think he would take? How would he vote? How would you answer that, if you would? Yeah, I mean, listen, we have to be honest. We're in, we're currently in a two-party system. I understand you, you can vote for anyone, but we all know, like, at this point, you're really held to vote for blue or for red. There are people who I've heard say you can't be a Christian and vote Democrat. I mean, this is a common talking point parroted, you know, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say with a lot of caveats and if Jesus was held at gunpoint and forced to vote, 
who would he pull the lever for? You know, I, I would like to think he would have voted for the guy I voted for, which was Joe Biden in 2020, uh, hoping that we could just survive America. <laughs> I honestly, though, would not be surprised if Jesus, if, if Jesus was like, no, I'm not voting. Like, it's not important. You know, like, it's just not kingdom, kingdom work. Like, just get, get in the gutter, get in the slums, do the work. But I, I, uh, you asked me a question that I feel not, I feel scared to answer only because I don't ever speak for Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, people do it so often. If he was here today, he would never tolerate. And I think that that there there are certainly themes. I think he'd be pretty critical about all the, the money in politics. I think he'd tell Trump and probably Joe Biden that it's harder for you know um, a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a, a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I think that that would be a bipartisan statement for Jesus, you know? <laughs> um, so I think there'd be a lot of criticisms for sure. But I think if Jesus had to vote, if, if in this imaginary world, there was no option, but where, which one are you going to go for? I, I, I tend to think at this point in my life that the, that, that the general posture and policies are more in line with loving your neighbor from Democrats in general. Oh, so many freaking caveats there. But but based off of what I'm seeing from from the Republican side right now. Cool. A lot of caveats, friends. Okay, right. I'm not saying I, I have the absolute truth here. Just giving me my perspective. <laughs> totally. Well, you know what's interesting, Tim, is because like your videos on Instagram, especially when you make your reels, which by the way, you guys, I think Tim's like main shining place, at least in my world and perspective is his reels are quality. They're just like packed with value and they're concise and just entertaining and compelling anyway um no keep going this is great (laughs) (laughs) well tim you don't like i would say you don't pull punches really you're pretty explicit and like forthcoming with your opinion and perspective and critique which i appreciate i think that's part of why it's a it's compelling to listen to you is because like you're just coming at us and it's helpful um, but it, I, I think it's also interesting because like, I think you get pretty political, right? About your commentary in terms of what you're critiquing. And so it made me wonder like, oh man, what you have such clear, it seems like based on your attitude and like presentation, such clear conviction about what an authentic Christian, what a follower of Jesus would be doing, thinking, believing in response to things going on in our world today. I love that clarity you you like operate with and so i just kind of wanted to hear some of the commentary behind it um because i think sometimes people can hear talking heads say stuff and like oh i agree with that point or i like what the way they said that or i like what they mean there but underneath there's so much more history and depth to where that conviction is coming from that doesn't often get presented you know um and so i guess this is kind of a weird question i don't know how to ask ex- exactly i just know that it's here and i'm um you put a lot of effort and energy into critiquing, exposing, confronting, holding accountable, right? Um, Where's that conviction coming from? Where is the drive for you to go to this length, to read these many books, listen to these many podcasts, talk to these many people, go to these trips, spend this much time and energy into the work you do? What is motivating you to these lengths? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, all right, let's get real honest here. I think there's a sense of purpose that this brings me. There's this, there's this human need to kind of get, be a part of something bigger than, than yourself, I think, anywhere in life. I think that's part of it. I think that also I feel very duped by my own Christian heritage mm-hmm. that I feel passionate about exposing, like, the mirage because I feel, I feel like ultimately it's unjust towards, towards the people that it claims to be ju- just you know, uh, um, that it claims to be acting justly towards. 
And I do think, you know, I think there's a sense, and let's just be honest, like I like making content. I like having my voice heard. I do. Like I, I like talking. I, that's yeah. what I do. Um, I think, I think anyone who, anyone, and you're I good think, at it, by the way, I appreciate that. You know, I, I've always been, even before this work, I've always been someone who's been outspoken. I've been one of these, you know, loud mouth kind of people. It's been, it's more refined now. Thank Jesus. than what it was. Um, I have like just, just a hair, you know, uh, just a little eye drop, uh, eye drops worth of wisdom in my life to kind of help with that a little bit. But I, I, I like to talk and I think, what I found in this work is that people tended to tell me that, Hey, you're saying things I don't have words for. Mm. And listen, people are wired really differently. I don't like writing. Some people are like, I'd rather write all day. I'm like, good for you. You know, like, and they're, they're amazing at it. I'm like, how do you write a book? How do you do that? But then I meet people who go, how do you talk like that? I go, how do you not like that? That, that, that's my wife. My wife is like, how do you have all, how do you have words all the time? I'm like, Sarah, I have nothing but words in my brain that just need to come out. We're just wired so differently. So I, I think it's just part of my wiring. I think that, that however the, 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 uh, you know, brain connections and neurons have, have all intersected along with my experience and, and the way that my parents raised me, you know, and my dad's deep sense of justice and integrity, even though it comes out very differently than, than it comes out for me. You know, I think all of those things are just kind of stirred in a pot and they're baked and what comes out is just this. So I, I think there's a lot of elements there, but I think that I, the driving element, at least consciously, is I just feel a sense of obligation to help people, right? And to, and to really say, if we're going to claim this allegiance to Jesus view, like, hey, we're Christians, we're representing Christ, who we believe, you know, conquered death and, and wants to liberate the oppressed and like loves the poor and loves the marginalized and calls the rich and powerful to repent and participate in this, in this gospel proclamation of good news for all. If we really believe that, then can we please start living like it? You know? So I think that's, that's a lot of the frustration too, is like, I, I still, despite reading their books, being at their events, listening to their podcasts, I don't understand how they find congruence in this like hyper dehumanizing everyone but us is demonic we have the right bible interpretation and you don't you know more power for us less privilege for you i don't understand how that's congruent with the message of jesus and i've read a lot of their shit. i went to their events i'm trying to understand but i just don't so i think that keeps me going too yeah okay cool thank you so if you're talking to Christians who maybe don't consider themselves Christian nationalists and don't feel super involved or connected to the struggle, like what's the big fuss about, but maybe like those kinds of Christians, what would you say to them if they're like, Hey, Tim, the idea of like releasing the influence that Christianity has in our country feels terrifying to me. I believe that we should have Jesus, the Bible, God at the center, like in God we trust, right? Like that should be the ethos of what we think even American, being American means. It sounds like what you're suggesting is that we should dial down the Christian agenda and give other voices equal opportunity to represent themselves, to live life on their terms. So you're talking like Muslims, atheists should have the same opportunity as Christians. Is that what you're saying? What would you say to someone who might be thinking or feeling that way? I'm saying yes, and welcome to democracy. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I don't mean to sound like rude, but like, yes, that's exactly right. And I think a lot of us who grew up in these in these Christian spaces have this, we, we, we live in a bubble. 
we live in this bubble that like the world just operates how we experience it, which is true for us, but it's not true for our Muslim neighbors, for our Sikh neighbors, for our atheist neighbors. And guess what? The constitution affords them the same rights you have. And when, when people gain equal rights to a privileged class of people, the privileged class oftentimes feels like they're losing rights, even though they're not. Other groups are just gaining the same rights that 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 people like us have always had, okay? And um, and listen, certainly, and the big argument is well, mor morality comes from somewhere. We have to argue. I that that is democracy, but Christian nationalism says no. We're just going to rule. We're going to be in charge. We're going to rig the system. So we're always being elected. So our policies are privileged. Look up Operation Blitz, friends. Just Google it. Okay, look at what is happening. There is legislation being passed in all 50 states to make things like the like, like a Bible class, a mandatory offered class in public schools. That is that is Christian privilege because it's highlighting one religion over another in a society that has a separation of church and state, meaning, meaning that public institutions are not to privilege one religion over the other. And before you say it, no, secularism is not a religion, okay? That is a, a, a talking point from Christian nationalists and, apolo and apologists trying to argue that by, by a, a government being, being free from being forced to privilege a certain religion, somehow that's a religion. No, that would be freedom from religion. And certainly we can argue our ethics and how we get there. That's complicated stuff. And we sh and Christians should throw their hat in the ring and say, hey, I think this, I think that. And that's our voting process. But again, it's about changing the fundamental rules. So one class or one group of, of, of people, mainly evangelicals and, and fundamentalists, are always in power. And the reason these people are this people group is specifically being crit critiqued or held accountable is because they're currently the ones in power. Yeah, I mean, yes, th that is true. Um, yeah, I would say so. And also, hopefully, hopefully, we can just use our eyes and see how how if you watch if if you want to do a little experiment, friends, you should watch the Mitt Romney Obama debate, and then you should watch the Trump Biden debate, and you should see how far we've come in our politics in only six years, because regardless of who you voted for, ever. No one denies, I'm aware of, that Trump greatly upped the level of political rhetoric. Really, he, he the temperature of the pot is at a roaring boil to the point where within four years of Trump, we had a mob of people try to literally storm the Capitol, trying to hang the vice president and overturn our election certification process, a first in American history. This is not a partisan thing. I think that, that there are some great conservatives, Adam Kingdinger, uh, Liz Cheney, there are Mitt Romney for crying out loud. Okay, conservative, fine. That's not Christian nationalists. Trump and that whole Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, that world, that's what we're talking about here. That is far right politics. And so we have to be aware of that. It, it, it does so much damage to our, our country so quickly. Thank you. Love it. I would. Uh, one last question on the Christian nationalist conversation, and then we'll land this plane. Sure. What would, you say, what would you say to Christians who are like, okay, Tim, they might not say this out loud, but let's say this is like the thing they're thinking underneath. Um, if we do what you're suggesting and we dial down the Christian influence within our government, what's going to stop Islam or atheism from dominating our country and that being the predominant way that, you know, things are 
run how isn't a christian nation better than an unchristian one what would you say to people who are thinking that yeah well that's what our constitution is for that's the whole point of the constitution that's the whole point of separation of church and state it applies not just to the evangelical church right it applies to all of these different religions period and so that's that's what this comes down to like absolutely you know i i'm not aware of, of anyone who's anti-christian nationalism who's like yeah you know what we need to become a muslim country in the sense of like it being ruled from the top down no of course not but also a muslim does not have to be should has the right not to be under right um a, a political system that privileges christianity that 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 makes someone do a prayer in in you know in congress etc does that make yeah. sense yeah totally i mean yes i'm just trying to <laughs> oh for sure for yeah. sure I mean, uh, if people want to do a little thought experiment, imagine it, it, imagine that America had a, a, a ruling class of Muslims who believe that America was founded as a Muslim country. And over the past couple hundred years, they really they made Muslim prayer standard. There was an imam who was hired at, uh, at, in Congress to give the prayer every single time they were in session. How would you feel as a Christian? Would you feel like kind of like, whoa, I feel like I'm not really welcomed here or that maybe my rights are in jeopardy? Well, that's how they feel because all those things I just said are true. There is a chaplain who's hired in the Congress, uh, in, in, in the House of Representatives, who's on staff, who gives the opening prayers every time Congress opens, same thing with the Senate. So we already have a huge amount of this happening in our government. How do you think it makes other people feel who do not share the same religious beliefs that you do? It's just that simple. Yeah, great. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> cool. So listen, y'all, Christian nationalism, it's something that's going on, whether you want to face it or not, think about it or not, admit it or not, like we've got it going on. And there are, there are things to learn, things to uncover, things to understand. And then if you do learn, should you choose to do the work, it will require response from you. It will demand change, choice, which will likely bring cost, right? Consequence that will come, whether it's socially, economically, relation, what you know, all the different ways that it might impact your life. Like I think Tim's saying, yeah, all that stuff may, it probably will likely happen. And he's like, I'm suggesting we need to do it anyway. It needs to happen anyway. Like it's the way of Jesus to do this, to hold this thing accountable because of the harm that it's producing in people, in people's lives, the violation it's bringing the violation of our very constitution like yeah um so yeah tim think i think that was pretty clear i think uh, you're pretty um linear and you know substantiating where your sources are coming sources are coming from for why you think all this and thank you i really hope appreciate your articulation and passion here it's important and i love that well thanks um, thanks for letting me rant into a microphone and thank you audience for listening <laughs> um and so tim my podcast is called confessions of a reformer uh, I'm wondering, is there a confession you might have in your journey of unpacking, critiquing, holding accountable the Christian nationalism stuff? Is there something you want to throw in there? You're like, hey, I'm pretty certain and clear about this stuff. And I want to say, it, huh? is there any pocket of this? You're like, ah, this part, I don't know what to do with. I don't know. I'm uncertain. I don't know if there is one, but I just wanted to open up that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm uncertain of probably, probably about everything in my life. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I would just say like, I, I hold these, I'm confident in, in, Everything we talked about, I'm confident in, okay? But I also understand that that the world's complicated and that the world's big and that, you know, I'm not claiming to have 100% lock on all this, right? Um, and that's important. And I think that, that keeps me honest. So that's what I would say. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, everyone, listen. The New Evangelicals at, on Instagram, 
the podcast, go check them out. There's a Facebook page you could join. Um, they've got ways you can donate to support their work. There's a lot of great resources that put Tim and his team has put together worth checking out. I have personally been deeply impacted by Tim's work, so I can't help but like suggest and endorse like, Hey, go, go get exposed to some stuff. You might not have thought of or looked at yourself. Tim has done a lot of great legwork for all of us. And I've been deeply impacted by your amazing mustache. So thank you. <laughs> thanks, Tim. You're yeah. Everyone. Thanks for being here. <laughs> we'll see you in the next episode. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to dive deeper, check out MikeMyFShiro.com.